We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com, all one word. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button. As well, uh, you can listen to old archive shows. Good to see you, Andy. We're we're Donless today. We are. It's just me. Don, you, Don's on holiday. But you've brought in a substitute. We've got a host here. We have a special guest to attend yep. with us today, and uh, her name is Karen Henderson, and she's the founder of the Long Term Care Planning Network. And Karen and I, uh, you know, actually, Karen, I've heard you speak a couple of times before, but most recently, I was at an educational conference in the U.S., and uh, Karen was one of our guest speakers at that conference, and. Um, it's something that it is so important, and for a lot of financial planners, and and even for Don and myself, who've been here for 35 years, a lot of our clients have now reached the point where they've aged, and they're now transitioning to mm-hmm. a from an independent living to uh, some level of care or, or assisted living, and it's um, it's something that is it's a really difficult thing to navigate for a lot of people, and it's really a difficult thing for people to talk about as yeah. well. And that's the thing that struck me the most in dealing with my own clientele is when you ask the question, you know, what, um, if, if you were no longer able to live independently, mm-hmm. what would be your strategy around that? And a lot of times people really just don't have the answer. Yeah. And so Karen, thank you very much for joining us today. And we're going to talk a lot about long-term care, but it, honestly, that that's sort of the first place I think about is why don't people, why don't people plan around this and what, what are the barriers to really getting, getting up, um, into this and some solutions around it? Well, I think that's uh, a question that I get uh, almost more than any other question. Why don't people plan? Yes. And the main, in one word, you could say it's denial. Uh, looking ahead to when we're aging and, and quite honestly, facing the end of life, uh, it's not a, a sexy topic. It, it can be rather distressing. And people just think to themselves, well, you know what? I'm just feeling fine, and I'm not going to worry about it. When the time comes, I'll do something about it. Yes, yes. And um, they, people don't realize how fast something can happen with respect to your health. You know, one day you're fine, the next day you fall, break a hip, have a stroke, and everything has changed in a heartbeat. And all of a sudden, you're faced with uh, decisions and questions and that uh, you can't answer. Uh, not, you don't have the knowledge that you need because you haven't looked ahead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if denial is really a huge thing to overcome. And so, you know, in, in terms of creating the long-term planning network, tell us about that. Like, what, what is it and, and why, did it, why did you create this for people? I created uh, the Long-Term Care Planning Network really because of my father. Uh, he, uh, for 14 years, I was responsible for his care. My dad suffered from many things, but the most problematic was Alzheimer's disease and um, vascular dementia, what we call mixed dementia. Mm-hmm. And for, four, for 14 years, I lived this, you know, I lived this life with my dad. And uh, when I was first in it, I looked around, and this was back in, you know, 1989. There was was hardly anything online, that's for sure, about uh, caregiving or long-term care. 
So I, I created a caregiver network for family caregivers, and that morphed into the long-term care planning network, which takes a broader view of uh, care planning, not only from the caregiver perspective, but also from the, the, the long-term care planning perspective. So, you, you know, I, I look at my dad, and I, as tough as an experience as it was, it changed my life mm-hmm. and, put me, and put me on a course uh, and gave me a passion. Wow. And, uh, you know, when I think about um, th- that, and, and was, your, was your father in, in his home, or was he in a long-term care facility, or was there a transition in, in that period? Oh, we had everything. And yeah. quite honestly, he started out at home, and then when he um, had his, uh, no, when he had had a series of strokes and was admitted to hospital, he ended up staying on the geriatric ward for a number of months um, because he couldn't return to his retirement home because he, he really, it, they couldn't cope with his care. So he ended up in hospital, and then finally he ended up in a long-term care home, or uh, the old term, a nursing home. Yeah. So we he he was home. He was all the way through what we call the care continuum. Yes. Yeah. You you when we, you were uh, presenting to us, one of the things you talked about too was this uh, sort of laissez-faire attitude around it, or the, also the the worried well. What what does that mean? Uh, the worried well are a group of people who um, are lucky in a way because they focus on their health and they make sure that they do what should be done with respect to you know annual physicals and and uh, doing their, all the vaccinations and so on. But the the negative part of being a member of the worried well is that you're always worried about your health and every time something happens to you, uh, let's take dementia for an example, every time you forget a word or you forget a name as we age, which is perfectly normal and natural, uh, if you're a member of the worried well, you panic. Mm-hmm. And you think that it's, the be- it's the beginning of Alzheimer's. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, and then, of course, the opposite of that, I guess, is the laissez-faire attitude where we're, we sort of maybe stick our head in the sand a little bit or, or don't want to engage or communicate about this. Yeah, well, that's yeah. where the denial comes in. Absolutely. Yeah, true. And so it, I know that it's been um, uh, in, in dealing with our own uh, aging parents as well and, and different levels of needing care. There are a lot of different programs and a lot of different systems out here in here just in the GTA area alone. And uh, I think it's extremely difficult for people to navigate to know what they can access. But at the same time, you know, I hear that people do want to be able to stay in their own home as long as possible. And is that something that still makes sense today, or is there a transition around that thought process now? Um, well, there, uh, your, the, in answer to your first question, yes, people want to uh, age, what we call age in place, or mm-hmm. age at home, and that's where they want to die as well. Uh, but the, the most important thing to remember about aging in place is that it has to be the right place. Right. And if your if your home is uh, on two or three floors and uh, is not very accessible, uh, is not near transportation, if, in case you have to stop driving, these are reasons that you may not uh, or you may not be able to age in your own home because it simply is not suitable. Mm-hmm. It's inaccessible. Um, 
So there, there are transitions, and if that's the case, then that, that individual who needs care in a home that's not suitable faces the, has to ask him or herself, well, what, you know, what kind of care do I need? How much do I need? How much is it going to cost? And where do I get this kind of care? And that takes research on the part of people living in Ontario, mm-hmm. in, in anywhere. Um, and uh, it's, it's certainly possible to do the research, but again, people wait until it's too late and something has happened. And I think one of the um, one of the issues that I keep hearing too is that the the ability to uh, age in home and be at home is is sort of a goal, but it's so difficult to find consistent help. And uh, is that something that your network can help people find? Again, just you know, people are supposed to show up and they don't, or it's they're late, yeah. or they're um, or they're sick and nobody else came, or somebody different comes every time, and it's just a really uh, can be stressful for. The family members, never mind the, um, the the senior living in this situation. Well, when you're looking at, at that kind of home care, uh, there's really two categories that you need to make quite clear, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you talk about uh, people not showing up and the same person uh, doesn't come every day, what we're talking about here mostly is home care, a subsidized home care provided by the province. Mm-hmm. And when people access this home care, they are assessed by what, we, what we're still calling the local health integration network, although this, this whole system is now in transition as we speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will uh, assess somebody and say, okay, uh, based on your, you know, your condition, uh, the amount of family support that may or, not be, may or may not be there, we are going to give you, for example, two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, five days a week. That mm-hmm. is the publicly subsidized home care where there can be problems of people not showing up and so on. Mm-hmm. The other way, of course, to, to access home care is to purchase private home care. Mm-hmm. And there are a great many agencies around in every part of the city. And what I do for my clients is when they want private home care, I can line them up with a couple of agencies that work in their area Mm-hmm. And then they can they can chat with them and make make their own decision. And is that usually then that would be that would complement what is being provided by the Ontario programs? It can complement, or some people bypass uh, government entirely and. Uh, purchase all, all their own care. Wow. And I think that's that. this is where uh, everybody trying to navigate this finds that there are, are so many different systems and so many different pieces that you can access in terms of the support levels and, uh, and really just understanding what's available to people. I think that's the hardest thing, I think. Well, it is hard because every part of the city has different programs and different access points. So really, the the best the best thing for 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 uh, listeners uh, to do is look in your start in your own community, mm-hmm. and um, you know if you live in Oakville or if you live in Burlington, um, start doing searches based on those cities, and then you can drill down to uh, services and supports 
that are closer to your own home. Yeah. And um, is generally how soon in advance should someone be doing this? And I, I've had people have suggested, well, you should put yourself on a long-term care waiting list at the places that you are most interested in being at. And then you're you might get a call a year from now and you're still capable and being independent and you decide that I'm going to pass it up and I'm going to wait again. Is that something that's normal? Are people allowed to do that still, put a, put themselves on a waiting list? Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put yourself on a waiting list. In fact, uh, people are encouraged to go on three or four, even five different waiting lists. Um, what used to happen some years ago was that if you were on a waiting list for facility A and you got the call and it was, it was the one that you wanted the most, um, you, ha- you were given the opportunity to, to turn it down mm-hmm. and, remain on, and remain on the list. Now you are not given that opportunity. If a long-term care home calls, and says that uh, a bed is ready for you, you have to make a decision within 24 hours. And if you don't, then you uh, are removed from the waiting list and you have to start all over again. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. Uh, it discourages people from planning, but that's the way the system functions at the moment. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister is here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're returning with Karen Henderson, founder of Long-Term Care Planning Network, when we come back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister is here from IG Private Wealth Management. And our special guest, Karen Henderson, is here, founder of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. 905-529-7165. You can call now, leave a message. Andy will get back to you. And you can check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Karen, just before we broke, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, being able to live in your own home and be able to have care provided there as well. But also, I think that, that the understanding what does it cost today to have that, uh, to be able to live in your home versus say, what does it cost to be in a long-term care facility or a retirement home? And what's the differences? Okay. Um uh, yes, well, costs obviously often dictate where people end up living. Mm-hmm. And um, in, let's start at the beginning of a continuum with home care. Uh, whatever you are assessed as receiving from the province, uh, an hour a day, two hours a day, whatever, that is free of charge to the citizens of Ontario. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to go private, um, I would say that the average hourly rate is about... $30 an hour, and that's for um, things like uh, h- helping with what we call the activities of daily living, which are things like eating, bathing, dressing, and toileting, and transferring incontinence. Mm-hmm. And that really, most home care is, is that kind of care. It's not the medical care. You can get medical care at home, absolutely, but most of home care requirements by older Canadians is for a non-medical so if, if you want to stay at home and you want to, um, and you're prepared to pay for care, uh, no matter how much care you need, 
Um, I had one client who was paying $10,000 a month for private home care. Right. 24 right. hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. Wow. So it can become very expensive. Yes. And, um, yeah. And the, in the next step in the continuum is the retirement living uh, option. Mm-hmm. And ret- retirement homes are places where uh, you can move to. They are privately owned. They are not subsidized by any government. And so it's a, it's a tenancy situation. You rent your space from the retirement home, be it a, a room with a bathroom, be it a, an apartment, whatever you might uh, require. And in return for your rent, you get your accommodation, you get your meals, uh, you get uh, some housekeeping uh, activities. Um, some retirement uh, homes provide things like transportation downtown or to the airport. And uh, once again, retirement homes can be uh, pretty pricey. There are some that uh, hover around $4,000 a month. Mm -hmm. But the majority that are being built now are uh, up into the six, seven, eight thousand $8,000 a month range, again, depending on the level of accommodation that you need and the extra care package that you may need to purchase if you need care because care essentially is not included in your rent. It's extra. Right, yeah. This is and <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on. And yeah. then that's okay. And then uh, the next part of the continuum is, of course, uh, the long-term care home or nursing home continuum. Part of the continuum. These are different from retirement homes in that they may be owned by a corporation or a city or a religious group or an ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless of who owns them, they are all legislated by the provincial government. So the rates are all the same at every single uh, um, long-term care home, regardless of whether it was built last year or 40 years ago. Hmm. And how, how this works for residents is that when you are accepted into um, a long-term care home, you... Uh, the resident are required to pay for your accommodation, and that may be a ward-level room with three or more beds. It may be a semi-private. It may be a private room. And then the government will pay for your food and your care. Right. So it's a very clear way of showing the people of Ontario that health care is not free. You either pay through your own pocket or you pay through your taxes. Mm. Exactly. And um, and that the is there is there much difference in terms of the cost then from in those long term care facilities or are they are they um, is the government mandated and I I know in Ontario um, I think there was recent announcements about an increase uh, funding for long term care beds is that is that correct? Well, they are the the Liberal government or sorry the Conservative government. Uh, has said that they will build 15,000 new beds. Mm-hmm. And uh, not very many of them have come on stream. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they're, they're very, very expensive to build. And um, many people feel that we don't need more long-term care beds. What we need is more money put into home care so that 
uh, people can stay at home longer because they can get the care that they need. Mm-hmm. And right now, uh, home care is underfunded. Uh, there aren't enough people to deliver the service. And that's one of the reasons that people end up having to leave their homes, even though they, they don't want to, because there simply isn't availability of care. So in your opinion, that would be a better strategy, would be to improve or spend more on home access to home care? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people, people end up uh, staying in the hospital. Let's say you have a, a, a stroke mm-hmm. as an older person, and you go into hospital for care. If you can't go home because now you are too ill or, or you, you know, there's nobody there to look after you, mm-hmm. um, you end up lying in a hospital bed for weeks and months at a time because there's no long-term care bed for you either. Mm-hmm. And we, the system calls these beds alternate level of care or ALC beds. Mm-hmm. And it's a terrible way for older people to end up being cared for. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're not they're they're you know they're in limbo essentially. Yeah. Karen, what about wait times for the public residences? I understand they're quite long. Lots of people have had to go into private as a result of that. Is that accurate? It is accurate. Right now in Ontario, there's uh, over thirty six thousand people on a, on the waiting list for long term care facilities. Yeah. And remember, in the province of Ontario, there are no private long term care homes. Uh, uh, but by, by that I mean that uh, they are not um, uh, they're, that are not mandated by the government. In some provinces, there are, like British Columbia, for example, has publicly funded homes and also private homes that have nothing to do with the public system. We don't have that here in the province of Ontario. So all long-term care homes are legislated by the province. Um, and you go on waiting list. The only way that you can be bumped up the queue is if you are what we call an emergency placement. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can no longer stay at home. It's a threat to you, or it's a th- your or your. Let's say you've got Alzheimer's. You're a threat to yourself, but you're also a threat to the people around you, and you will be placed. But you'll. You know, you won't have any control over where you're going to be placed. You could, if you live in Toronto, you could be placed out in Scar- uh, Scarborough mm-hmm. or up north or, you know, no control whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, is there much difference between the public residences and private? Uh, uh, do you know what you're going to get? Well, uh, there's, no, there's no private long-term care homes, which is, I think, what I, what I was right. trying to get across. They're all, they're all legislated, they're legislated exactly the same way. Right. So the cost, the cost is the same. The food is the same. The care is the same. Um, there, there's a few dementia care homes that are privately run. Mm-hmm. They are very expensive. The one I heard of most recently is eleven thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. But they, there are very few of these, and they are specifically for people with um, Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. So. So how did we get here? <laughs> this is, it, it, I mean, we're all, I know that um, uh, people are living longer uh, and it, it, it just seems that over the last decade or two that this, this um, the, the, the crisis in long-term care has, has really exploded. Is it just because we're living longer? Is that, or what are, what are the other factors that we're not, that we're not missing here? Well, there has been a crisis. 
in long-term care for years. Mm-hmm. And no, no, level, no level of government has really buckled down to try and address it other than throwing some money at this or throwing some money at that. Mm-hmm. And yes, it, it has to do with longevity. We're living longer. Mm-hmm. And we also, you know, have millions of boomers, uh, 200, you know, 225,000 Canadians are turning 65 every day. Mm-hmm. So we have all the boomers that are now uh, coming into their 70s and 80s and needing some form of care, be it home care or um, facility care. And is so this, is this um, just a, like a North American phenomenon or we're, we're we seeing this worldwide? Uh, the, the aging population is obviously worldwide. Uh, mm. The dementia, uh, what, what some call an epidemic, is worldwide. But some countries are handling it much better than, than others. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe, for example, um, there uh, is access to both public and private care. So you can pay for health care, whereas right now in Canada, it's, it's you know, against the law to, to pay for care. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in Japan, uh, every person has uh, long-term care insurance. By law, every person has to have it. Yeah. So that when, when you need the care, the money is sitting there waiting for you. Whereas here in, in Canada, um, we aren't doing a very good job. We do have a public system, but people mistakenly think the public system is going to look after everything. When in fact, every year that goes by, the public system can, that can only do less. Right. Because there's less money and less um, professional and uh, family caregivers. So it sounds the, like the U.S. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It, it sounds like Japan has figured something out here, and I'm I'm hey. I'm curious. I'm wondering how that started and what does it cost them? Is it a tax? Is it a specific tax they're paying, or is it a specific contract with an insurance company that they that they have to take, or how does that work? Do you know much about Well, that? actually, Andy, I'm not really sure okay. um, how they've managed to do it, but um, it's uh, because they've got one of the oldest populations in the world. Sure, yeah. And, and, and many, 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 many people uh, who are living into their 90s and 100s in Japan. Wow. So yeah. there, uh, there, are, there are things that can be done. I've attended many conferences over the years where plans are put forward. But nothing ever really changes. Wow, that's it's not uh, it doesn't sound great, and I'm um, and I'm thinking to myself too when we, uh, both as someone aging and then having to rely on assistance in the future, it's probably not going to be my kids. I don't mm. think they're going to want to do it. Uh, maybe I don't want them to do it. That's probably. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, well, you, you once asked the question. I think you said, "If you had to name the three people that you'd want to give you a bath, who would they be?" And, <laughs> and your kids doesn't not, ring usually, up. There? Usually, not your family <laughs> members or your kids, right? So, uh, so I mean, obviously, this is something that um, it, it continues to be an issue for families in particular, and then. For those seniors who are vulnerable or on their own, then uh, that seems like even a bigger a bigger gap or a risk for for that group. If you have it no, if you have no um, family, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of seniors living on their own uh, more than ever right mm-hmm. now. In fact, and um, that's one of the most important questions that every person has to ask as we age: Who will care for me? 
Right. And it's a it's a very painful existential question, but it's one that um, we need we all need to face because we all will need some level or type of care if we live long enough. Yeah. This is uh, and and so uh, if in the absence of having enough money to pay for someone to come in and help you in your home. Um, you're getting limited, perhaps, I think, is the maximum two hours a day from um, through the, the public system in terms of uh, uh, in-home assistance? Is that, is that the limit? No, no. It, the, it, the, the number of hours uh, varies from person to person okay. uh, and is based on the assessment by the, by the limb. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm hearing from you is if, if, if you don't have any, uh, enough money to do that, you would get some government, uh, support in terms of the LIN providing, uh, an assessment, then you're going to get X number of hours per day, uh, and each week. And then, um, uh, but I guess there's situations where people obviously would need 24 hour care in home. And, um, uh, does the system then ask them to, consider a long-term care facility or how does that work? Well, uh, it depends on um, if, if let's uh, say that somebody, uh, uh, a woman is 95 and she's living at home mm-hmm. and she's not well, she's not doing well, she has not got the care she requires and she's deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, she is completely mentally capable. So nobody can force her out of her home. Right. The only the only way that somebody can be forced to leave is if they have been diagnosed as having a dementia mm-hmm. and being inca- being incapable of looking after themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can be uh, moved, but an older person who is who is mentally capable cannot be forced out. And oftentimes, what unfortunately happens is that it's it. What breaks the camel's back is a fall. Yes, and, you know what? Um, I remember you mentioning that, and, was, uh, and I wanted yeah. to talk about that absolutely. And what? What? Yeah. What? It, why is it the fall? What is it that's that's causing so much change at that point? Um, well, falls are um, the main reason that people, that older people, uh, are in hospital, mm-hmm. and um, between twenty and thirty percent of people over sixty-five fall every year. And the, the, the tough part about it is that once uh, uh, seniors had a fall, they are uh, very likely to have another fall and another fall after that. And um, when you fall and you're still living at home, you become very afraid of going out, particularly in the winter. Right, and right. so you stay home because you want to you stay safe, but then you may become socially isolated. Mm-hmm. And that social isolation also is very risky for one's health. So it becomes a just a snowball of effects, and that's why um, it's it's very important that older people understand uh, the risk for falls. That they understand that there are fall prevention programs offered by every community, and that if they're interested in this, to talk to their family doctor. Um, about being referred to a fall prevention program because my dad fell and he had a, broke his hip, had a stroke, and it was the beginning of the end for mm. him. It was never, ever the same. 
We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister is here from IG Private Wealth Management. Our guest, Karen Henderson, founder of the Long Care, or sorry, of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. You can call now and leave a message, and Andy will answer. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister is here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And our guest today is Karen Henderson, founder of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. Karen, we were talking a little bit about uh, falls and how it's such a huge issue in terms of older Canadians. And uh, you mentioned there's access through uh, every in every community about fall prevention. And so is that something you said, is it simply th- by accessing through your doctor or is there um, any other guidance you could give us on fall proofing our, our world? Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, definitely go through your doctor uh, for more information. Hospitals offer fall prevention programs. Community uh, senior community centers often offer them. They're 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 really very prevalent. Um, but the in addition to doing that, yes, there are ways that you can fall proof the home. And um, I mean, I could talk for an hour on just doing that. But yes. the two most dangerous rooms are the kitchen and the bathroom in the home, obviously one of the reasons, of course, being water. Mm-hmm. And so it's wise to make sure that your kitchen is accessible, that you're not climbing on a chair to get up to a high cupboard to get something, mm-hmm. and um, that you've got good lighting, and that uh, and in the bathroom there's uh, what we call assistive devices, Mm-hmm. So that you can have a raised toilet seat, you, can, you should have a grab bar in the shower, you should have a grab bar by the, the toilet as well. And um, for the rest of the house, um, floors, of course, uh, are where people end up when they fall. Mm-hmm. So that uh, people should avoid having scatter rugs in their home because people slip on scatter rugs. Mm-hmm. They should make sure that there's no cords running uh, across the floor that people can slip on. Um, stairs should have railings and good lighting. And uh, you can even um, mark the edge of each stair with bright tape mm-hmm. so that you can make sure you can see the edge of each stair properly. I mean, there's a great many things to do in the home but good lighting is very, very important. And uh, if you have stairs, making them safe as well. I think it's just a matter of uh, convincing my, <laughs> I'm thinking about my own situation is how do you, how do you tell somebody that um, it's time to fall proof their home? And yeah. they're thinking, yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want that thing in my bathroom. I don't want yeah. this. I, it's going to make you, me, it's going to make me feel old. What are you doing with all of my rugs? Yeah. Where are you taking my rugs? <laughs> I remember my mother saying that. What are you doing with my rugs? <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, you know, a way you can approach this conversation is you can say, you know, mom, Right now, you're you're fine. You're getting around the house, but uh, and you can you can make up a little story here if you want. To. You can say a friend of mine's mom fell uh, in the bathroom and she had to go to the hospital and she was there and she broke her hip and and mom, I don't want that to happen to you. So why mm. don't we make some small changes to the house so that it doesn't happen to you? Yeah, exactly. And. Once they understand that you're not trying to take over their lives, you're not trying to re, redo the house, uh, you're not trying to take away their independence, all you want to do is make your loved ones safe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
and that means conversations and communication. And it can be tough at times, but it really needs to happen. Yeah, exactly. A care planning conversation has to happen in every family. Yeah, and this is, uh, since we're all going to be together over Christmas, <laughs> our family members in the yeah. next in the next yeah. week or so, yeah. or New Year's, that uh, um, I'm going to encourage everybody to have a long-term care conversation. Yeah. So if you were going to give us some quick hints or some guidelines in terms of how to bring this topic up over the holidays right now at an appropriate time, but uh, how do we get the conversation started and what's a good way to do it? Well, one of the one of the, the ways you can do it is start with this question. Mom, Dad, do I know everything I need to know so that when the time comes, I will be able to do what you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great question. And um, that is often a, a great way to open the conversation. And you can also use the, the example of your friends that, you know, my friend John's parents, have had some problems and you know mom and dad I don't want to go I don't want to have those problems with you so let's uh, let's sit down tomorrow over a cup of tea and let's start to talk and you don't just have one care conversation this should go on over a period of time Mm -hmm. so that decisions can be made and that uh, also that these conversations include everybody that needs to be there so the, co- the care conversations about mom and dad should always, of course, include mom and dad. They should not uh, take place in the absence of mom and dad unless there's a very, very good reason for that happening. Right. Because it's their life, it's their life that you're talking about. Yeah. And often it's a great way to say, okay, John, you're the lawyer. You know, you're going to do up the legal documents that need to be done. Susie, since you're a nurse, um, why don't we talk about uh, what's available in the community for, for mom and dad so that people, if possible, can have jobs assigned to them in the family and so when the time comes that caregiving needs to be provided, that people, the kids, the grandkids, um, have had the conversation and are prepared and, and happy to help. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and, uh, and I think about... Um uh, engaging that conversation with people is, uh, I, I think that it's too often we sort of keep our head in the sand and we, uh, we don't want to go down this path. And maybe as, as, uh, as the adult children, um, we don't want to face the fact that our parents are coming through, uh, through a transition as well. Right. So, yeah. We, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister is here from IG Private Wealth Management, along with guest Karen Henderson, uh, founder of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister is here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And joining us today is Karen Henderson. She is the founder of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. And we should give out uh, Karen's website if people want to find out more uh, about the Long-Term Care Planning absolutely. Network. You know, Karen, I printed off your Long-Term Care Readiness Questionnaire, and I was looking at this, and I think it's a fantastic tool. And uh, so I just want to make sure listeners know how to access that. And that's at your website, which is www.ltcplanningnetwork.com. All one word, ltcplanningnetwork.com. And the, this is the long-term care readiness questionnaire. So, um, 
speaking of documents, one of the things, I mean, Don and I will talk about powers of attorney uh, documents, of course, having a valid will for, uh, for clients as well. And the, the, the legal documents to address someone's long-term care plan, what, what are your suggestions or, or recommendations in that area? Well, obviously, powers of attorney are, are absolutely crucial, um, particularly in the case of long-term care. It's the power of attorney for personal care. Mm-hmm. And um, you or anybody um, can have uh, what we call an advanced care directive, which is uh, outlining what you want at the end of life. But mm-hmm. it, that can easily be incorporated into the power of attorneys for personal care, which appoints your substitute decision maker, who is the person that will speak for you when you cannot speak for yourself because perhaps you've had a stroke or perhaps because you are cognitively impaired and the decision making has to be left to somebody else. Yes. So that document is absolutely vital for every person to have completed and kept updated and kept accessible to those who need to have access to it. And that's, you know, your physician, your lawyer, and obviously your substitute decision maker and the rest of your family. And that's, of course, the tricky situation where when someone has the capacity to make those documents based on an assessment that if you're meeting with a lawyer that they feel you have the capacity to make the decisions about your power of attorney. And then who who's typically should be your power of attorney for personal care? Should it be every family member? Should it be one family member? Will people feel they're left out if they're not included? What do you usually see? All of the above. Okay. Um, from my personal perspective, I think the most important uh, thing to uh, think about when you're looking at, at choosing your power of attorney for personal care is trying to find somebody who's had experience with the long-term health care system, mm-hmm. who understands the care continuum, who understands the challenges, who, who understands the solutions and the resources because he or she has has been through it. That, for me, is number one. Yes. And following that is somebody who knows you very well, who uh, will uh, who will who will agree to uh, carry out your care wishes. Yes. Um, as you have stated them, and so this person is you have to trust that person and know that they will carry out your wishes regardless of whether they may agree with them or not. Yes. And so now in situations where someone said, I don't have anybody, I just don't, I don't know, there's nobody there. Who does the government appoint somebody to help people with these or how does that work? Well, if somebody truly has nobody, no family, no friends, nobody, Mm -hmm. um, there is uh, the public guardian and trustee available in, in Ontario, which is part of the Ontario government. Okay. And uh, they will um, take over the care of somebody, um, both financially and uh, from a healthcare perspective, uh, if there's absolutely no other alternative. But before they do that, they will search high and low to try and find somebody else to do it because they simply can't uh, keep up with the demand. Well, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah. Part of the long-term care planning process is thinking about who is going to be your power of attorney for property and who is going to be your power of attorney for personal care 
and it's it, there's nothing written in stone that says it has to be a spouse, it has to be an adult child. It has to be the person that you trust yes, and that is capable and willing of carrying out your either your financial or your care wishes. We've got a couple minutes left, and I, want, I didn't want to finish the show without talking about MAID, and, um, which is a program here in Ontario, Medical Assistance in Dying. Tell us, can you tell us how that works and where does that fit in? Uh, MAID actually is a federal uh, program. It um, came into existence in June 2016, and it's legislation that is having a, having a, a big impact on dying Canadians. And essentially what it's doing is allowing people to ask for medical help uh, to die. Mm-hmm. And this has been illegal up until uh, June of 2016. Right now, as of actually as a year ago, um, over 6,700 Canadians had taken advantage of MAID. 6,700. Yeah, although that's only the people who were successful. There were others, many others, who wanted MAID but did not qualify. And how do you qualify? Well, you've got to be over 18. You must have a serious incurable illness, disease, or disability. You need to be enduring heavy, strong physical or psychological suffering that is has become intolerable. Uh, natural death should be reasonably foreseen, although this is uh, can be very, very challenging. Yeah. And yeah. the last part of legislation said that you must be capable of providing informed consent at the time that made is provided, and what that means is that. Um, the legislation was was meant to protect people um, with dementia, so that um, if you have dementia, you you cannot uh, be considered but for made by let's say a family member. That's against the law. Um, but this this has been challenged because they so when made was passed, it was assumed that anybody with dementia would not qualify uh, because of that the way the law was written. But in the last couple of months, two people with dementia have challenged the law. And the thing that you need to remember about dementia, Alzheimer's, or any other type, is that capacity ebbs and flows. And one day, you, you, you may look at someone with Alzheimer's, and they are really with it. I mean, they're able to answer questions, to have a conversation, and the next day, they're not able but these two people who challenged the law proved that at a certain point in time, they were capable of understanding what MADE is and capable of signing the documentation. And so this will now be challenged more formally, I believe, in the legislation. And finally about MADE, the average age of a person uh, seeking MADE is 75. The oldest person who has had MADE is 104. Yeah. And the main reason that people ask for medical assistance in dying is because of cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, or neurological diseases such as uh, ALS or Parkinson's. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister has been here from IG Private Wealth Management. And our guest, Karen Henderson, founder of the Long-Term Care Planning Network. Thanks to both of you for being much. here today. Thanks, Thank Karen. you. Thank you.